Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And uh, let's just pray for Chris as he comes to, to lead us this morning. So, Father God, we just thank you for this tremendous message of Christmas, a message we've heard over and over again, but thank you for the power, the fact that you, the Saviour, were coming, was coming into the world, the Rescuer. And just pray for Chris as he, he shares a story that we are so familiar with, but just help him to, to get across um, something new, something fresh, something challenging and something encouraging this morning. Just uh, give us hearts ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Great. Well, what's the longest journey you've ever been on? Hands up if you've ever flown to Australia or New Zealand. Oh, look at that. My goodness. I try not to be jealous. But that, that's a good day or two's journey to get there, isn't it? That's a long old journey. Well, as many of you know, um, if we could have the first slide up, please, that would be brilliant. And we'll keep the slides on because the first few are quite in order um, quite quickly. But once a year as a family, um, we head to Tyree. Now, you can't quite see Tyree on that map, it's so small. Um, but it's a small Scottish island between the Inner and Outer Hebrides. And uh, we get up a ridiculous hour, we pack the car full, we got the roof box full, we got DVD players for the kids, and we have multiple stops on our route. Now, if you look at the sat-nav, you're looking at a good eight and a half hours to get to Oban, which is the ferry port we need to get to. With stops, you're looking at 12 hours. So it's a long, long journey. And I remember one year, Emma, when we, this was a few years ago, Emma was quite young, and she actually asked, 
whether we were there yet before we'd even left the village. <laughs> I was like, oh no, no, we've got a little way to go yet. And that's just to Oban, to the ferry port. The next morning, we have to get up at five in order to get the ferry over at six o'clock, which is another four hours before you're at the island of Tyree. So that's a good day and a half's travel just to get to this little island. And people say, why do you do it to yourselves? And some years I've asked the same question. But we do it because we love the island dearly. Here it is, another picture of the island. And for us, it's, it's somewhere we love and it's good for us as a family. It's restorative, it's healing. Um, we absolutely love it and it's good for our souls and we've made good friends there. John was saying earlier when he was leading about the journeys that we make and why do we do them? Well, that's why we do that one. When something is special, and important, it's worth making the effort for, isn't it? Yeah? Now, the journey of the Magi to Bethlehem is estimated to have been about 2,000 kilometers. That's 1,243 miles. That's going to Oban and back and then some. Or if you're a runner, do we have any runners here? Any joggers? Excellent. Just John at the moment. I'm sure there's more than that. But we're talking about 47 and a half marathons. That's quite a long way, isn't it? And that's through the desert terrain on an uncomfortable camel. The journey would have taken about two to three months travel, not to mention all their time on preparations, all their stops, various stops, including Jerusalem. That's an incredible distance to go. We can drop the slide now, thank you. It's an incredible distance to go, and it's not for the faint-hearted. It would have been a hard graft of a journey, even harder than being in a car with children for 12 hours. And that's saying something. Now, the same question asked of us as a family may have been asked of the Magi. Why are you going all the way to Israel? What could possibly be that big of a draw that you would sacrifice all that time, all that effort and expense? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? The Magi demonstrated that persistent waiting that Mike spoke about last week, that keeping on, keeping on, running the race, not giving up. If we can just have the slide up again. See, these Magi were from the East, most likely from Arabia, and they were scholarly men. In other words, they were pretty smart. They were astronomers or astrologers. The two went together in the ancient world and they were experts in interpreting dreams and other strange happenings. And something in the night sky caught their eye. Many scholars have sought to determine what this star was, but the most likely conclusion is that the planets Jupiter and Saturn, 
were in conjunction around the time of Jesus' birth. Jupiter was the royal or kingly planet, and Saturn was sometimes thought to represent the Jews. Thus, the Magi logically concluded that a new and important king of the Jews was about to be born, and so they made plans to greet him and pay homage. The Magi were learned scholars, as I've said, astrologers, interpreters of strange things. Wouldn't that be a wonderful job title? What do you do for a living? You know, you're at a party, you know, you're asking that same old question. Oh, so what's your name and what do you do? Well, I'm an interpreter, interpreter of strange dreams and strange things. That would just be an awesome title, wouldn't it? And God knew how to get their attention. He spoke to the Magi in a way they could understand. They demonstrated that receptive waiting that Mike spoke about last week, hearing God's whisper to pay attention to that star, to follow that star. And God often speaks to us in a way we can understand. I'm sure many of us here this morning would have testimonies of the way in which God has spoken to us in different ways, but often he gets our attention in a way that we would understand. I love listening to music, and I can't tell you the amount of times that God has spoken to me through music, even through a Paul McCartney song. Oh, yes. We know that God spoke to Moses in a burning bush, but there is even an account in the Bible where God spoke to someone through a donkey. He can speak through anything or anyone when he wants to get your attention. It says in scripture that the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. And we can all testify to that when we've seen a glorious sunrise or sunset. So it stands to reason, doesn't it, that the whole of God's creation would be declaring the glory of his one and only son being born at this time. The Magi noticed the strange and significant event in the heavens, and it prompts them to look for its earthly counterpart. Their start, 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 rewind, start again. Their stargazing, their science, it got them so far. They discerned that a new king of the Jews had been born, and so logically, they went where? to Jerusalem, for that's where a king should be born, shouldn't they? In a palace, surrounded by wealth and security, but not so. I find it interesting that the star must have disappeared during their time in Jerusalem, signaling that the newborn king was not to be born in splendor, nor was he of Herod's bloodline, but that he would be born of David's bloodline in Bethlehem, a little overlooked town. The Magi's intellect had got them so far, but it was the scriptures that ultimately led them to Bethlehem, and the star appeared again as they did, confirming the location of Jesus. 
You see, God may speak to us in various ways, but it is the scriptures that will help us to fully see and understand who he is. And this demonstrates that perceptive waiting that Mike spoke of last week, where we actively seek to understand what God is doing in that moment. But this story also leads to that open-minded waiting. The thing I find beautiful and captivating about this story is that not only were the Magi astrologers, but they were also Gentiles, non-Jews. And yet God spoke to them and he invited them to come and see his newborn king. This story doesn't really make sense. It doesn't fit with the Jewish narrative, does it? Jews weren't to associate with Gentiles. And yet here at the birth of Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Messiah they had been waiting for for so long, God's one and only son, Gentiles are strangely included. But Jesus' birth and ministry fulfilled what God had promised through Abraham all those years before. He said to him, didn't he, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all people will be blessed through you. And as we know from Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. Yes, God had given his son to be the true king of the Jews, but with the inclusion of these magi, these Gentiles, we see that Jesus was destined to be the king of all nations, which is why we are here today. Just wonderful to just think that through for a moment, isn't it? At the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, you have these mysterious Gentile visitors from the East coming to pay homage to Jesus. And then at the end of Matthew's Gospel, you have Jesus doing what? But commissioning his disciples to go to all nations and make disciples. This led the Apostle Paul to famously declare There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but he's also king of all nations. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is what we see the Magi doing. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. If we can have the next slide up, please. Now, these expensive gifts were those fit for a king or even a god in the ancient world. Gold 
a precious metal, a gift fit for a king, frankincense, a sweet-smelling gum resin from trees and bushes, which was an ingredient of the incense offered before the Lord in Exodus, and myrrh, a fragrant gum resin used for a variety of perfumes, and in the Old Testament, it was a symbol of joy and festivity. And these gifts showed how seriously they took the birth of Jesus, how significant they believed he was. And in reverence, they bowed down before him, knowing he was special and great things were to come through him. The acts of the Magi are those of great faith and generosity. On seeing that heavenly star, they traveled by faith for two to three months by camel, which is no easy task, to pay homage to Jesus. And as they did, they presented him with gifts fit for a king, fit for a deity. They generously gave their time, their effort, and expense in order to meet with Jesus and worship him. And their actions, they challenge us this morning. How far are we prepared to go to worship Jesus? Some of us struggle to get out of bed to come to church, for being honest, some weeks. But these magi traveled on an arduous journey, two to three months, just to see this newborn king. How much are we prepared to give to him? How much of our lives do we give to Jesus? Do we give what we want and keep the rest, or do we give it all? Jesus gave his life for ours, Are we prepared to give our lives to him in return? In the famous carol, In the Bleak Midwinter, we sing these words. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give my heart. Jesus wants you to bring yourself to him this Christmas, every part. He wants all of you, not a bit of you, all of you, warts and all. He wants your heart. And he promises that when you give him your heart, he will fill it with love and bring you life in all its fullness. Joy, peace, forgiveness, hope, and a future. I don't know many people that don't want a bit of that in their lives right now, but it's found as we give ourselves to Jesus. So I'm going to pray a prayer now. And what I would love you to do is if you want to receive this prayer, maybe just open your hands in front of you. And if you want to receive this and claim this prayer today, then say amen at the end, which means, yes, 
I agree. Jesus, here I am today, a sinner saved by your glorious grace. I come before you just as I am. I can come no other way. I give myself to you today. The parts I'm proud of and the parts I'm not. I am yours and you are mine. I bow before you in reverence today and I offer you my heart. Come fill it with your extravagant love and transform my life from the inside out. Fill me up to overflowing so that your love may pour out to those around me in life-giving ways. For your praise and glory, we ask it. Amen.